we review the Jets' sixth loss of the season. They are now the only winless team in the NFL with the Giants and Falcons winning. We also review a Matt Rule comment made in January 2019 that highlights the Jets' biggest ill as an organization. And we wonder if Sam Darnold to the Dallas Cowboys before the trade deadline is the right move. Sable Radio, Jets lose again, this time to the Miami Dolphins, and Adam Gase is still head coach. And I said it, and I'm wrong. It just made sense for Gase to be booted after losing to the Dolphins in Miami. Just made sense. In like a Gase sort of way. His former team down in Miami, uh, they moved to 0-6 as the only winless team, and he gets the boot then. Doesn't happen speculate all you want who knows what the hell's happening steve mcclendon was essentially traded during the game uh nfl.com reported that he actually didn't even fly back with the team he just drove from miami to tampa jets also sent a 2023 seventh round pick in exchange for a 2022 sixth round pick is that the signal that the fire sale is on who knows I don't think Steve McClendon alone could qualify that it's a fire sale, but it could be coming. So we'll review the Cardinals game, excuse me, the Dolphins game quickly and dig into some deeper stuff, including the Matt Rule comment in January 2019 that looms large and and is really the thing that Christopher Johnson should look at and study and analyze when moving forward here. And about we'll also talk about Sam Darnold's future. The Cowboys make sense in terms of a landing spot for Darnold. The Colts do as well, as ESPN's Bill Barnwell wrote a column recently and, and suggested that, that the Colts give up a second and third round pick for Darnold. But the Cowboys also make sense because of desperation. Should they pull the trigger on that? That's a genuine question that I don't even think I have an answer to right now. It's a tough one. But we start with the sixth loss. 24-0 Dolphins, who are now 3-3, looking like a formidable squad against the Jets. Um, This loss was bad in every way. Just terrible in every way. Again, terrible defense. The Jets point differential is at an all-time low right now that's how bad this team is 24 nothing the one positive is marcus may they finally put him back at free safety and he played well played a lot better than he had the previous three four weeks uh picked up that interception that everyone's calling the butt interception which is just low-hanging fruit come on folks we know this is the team of the butt fumble which again is highly overrated and why Brandon Moore received so much crap for that, I'll never know. Collinsworth on the broadcast said, Will Fork, Vince Will Fork, literally pushed Brandon Moore backwards. He really didn't. They kind of just stood up. Brandon Moore pushed him actually a yard or two, then they stood up, and then Sanchez just ran into Brandon Moore's big backside. But calling the May interception the butt interception or buttception or my favorite, the butt pick, which kind of works in a lot of ways it's just low-hanging fruit why even do it 
but everyone will, and you know that, and it was a great interception, one of the best of the season. Uh, Bryce Huff picked up his first sack, which has Michael Nania dancing somewhere. Flacco looked terrible. Perryman put up some yardage, but that second play of the game was just awful. He stopped running. We'll have film later in the week, Wednesday or Thursday, most likely. Maybe Friday. I'm not sure. And that's it. The positives were few and far between. They just got steamrolled yet again. First drive, and that was the key, the first drive. They get the ball. They run it on first down. Gore actually makes three yards happen, even though it was terribly blocked. Uh, Adoga and Alex Lewis on the left side did a poor job. Gore makes it happen, gets three yards, sets up second and seven. That second down was the crucial one. Interestingly, Gase, and he said it in the press conference after the game, he knew the Dolphins, and Flacco said it too, he knew the Dolphins would play them tight. Single high safety, press on the outside, daring the Jets' weapons to beat him in one-on-one coverage, which should be a gimme in today's NFL. So Gase decided to start attacking early in this one. Where was this all season? This is what he needed to do in every game, literally. Except Denver. Denver was the one team Vic Fangio loves that loose cover four. Didn't really do it. And they put up points that game. Coincidence? No. But he attacked early. Second down? It was the right idea. Perriman one-on-one. Perriman beats his man. They have a chance. Flacco throws a decent ball. It looks to be thrown, overthrown on the broadcast, but that's because Perryman stopped. For some reason, he stopped his route. He allowed his eyes, when looking back at the ball, he allowed his eyes to stop his route. You see it in high school. You sometimes see it in college. It's a bad thing for a receiver to do. You can never stop your route when you turn your head and you start using your eyes. And that's what Perryman did. Instead of turning to the inside and going up and trying to catch it, he needed to track that ball and understood, understand that he needed to willy maze that ball near the sideline. Flacco threw it near the sideline, away from the single high safety, and he just didn't get it done. And Perriman slowed down inexplicably. I don't get it. Next play, again, one-on-one coverage. They take another shot. Again, right idea. Right idea, Gase. Right idea, Jets offense. This time, Flacco flails. Perryman doesn't have the step like he did on second down, but Flacco flails, he's falling backwards, and he just underthrows the ball, and it's a bad throw. So Perryman, Flacco, combine. First drive, three and out. Dolphins get the ball. They go three and out. Jets get the ball back on their own eight poor field position in a game that, you know, isn't showcasing field position, the importance of field position as much as it used to. Three and out, yet again. Next drive, Dolphins, eight play, 66-yard touchdown. This one resulted in the, which one was it? Oh, yeah, the Adam, or the, is it Adam? It's Shaheen touchdown for four yards. Jets get it back, go on a 10-play, 45-yard drive. Where is the yardage? Everything is short. That in which they have to punt at the end. Dolphins get the ball back, seven plays, 50 yards. Ryan Fitzpatrick wasn't great in this game. In fact, both teams couldn't convert a third down conversion until, was it late in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter? 
for a great chunk of the game. And I think Miami only converted one all game, and it happened on the last drive when Tua was inserted. How the Jets lost 24-0 when the Dolphins didn't convert a third down all game is just insane. It's an insane thing to think about. But after that, Dolphins go up 14-0, add another touchdown, a field goal, Tua gets in there, Fitzpatrick's happy, and the rest is history. Jets are 0-6. The Giants lost. I'm sorry, the Giants won. And the Falcons won. Which means the Jets are the only winless team and at the top of the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. Elsewhere, Kansas City beat Buffalo 26-17. It wasn't even that close. Buffalo did not look good. The running game sort of disappeared compared to last year. If Allen's not heavily involved in the designed attack, it's not working. Singletary's just not getting it done. Moss just came back. He only had a few carries. Didn't get it done. Arizona, Dallas, a spanking. Andy Dalton couldn't do anything. Kingsbury, Arizona, they look good. And Kyler Murray wasn't even that impressive to me. You know, he missed a lot of passes. His running is what got it done. Arizona's defense got it done as well. Denver, New England. Denver wins in Foxborough, 18-12. For those who listen, for those who read... You know I was not big on Cam Newton to the Patriots. I mean, it was a good shot for New England, but I didn't think Newton matched up well with what the Patriots like to do. Everyone thought I was nuts. You're, You're insane. The Pats will mold to what Newton can do, and that's true. I always knew that. They'd come out in a new style college quarterback heavy running scheme where you're seeing power inverted veers and read options and anything in a zone read or gap concept to feature Newton. But I worry about injuries with Newton and I worry about his passing. That's all well and good. But if you can't pass the ball, you're really not going to, I mean, you might win some games, you might sneak it to the playoffs, but you might not be great. I don't know how Newton won the MVP in 2015. He is so inaccurate He's just not that good a quarterback. And although McDaniels and Belichick have done a good job, in my opinion, I don't think that was the, the slam dunk match everyone made it out to be. New England goes to 2-3 and three on the season, the same as Denver, 2-3. and three. It's amazing. Houston, Tennessee. Houston had, a, had this one, Romeo Cornell, for a good chunk of the game. Tennessee comes back. Tannehill was tremendous Derek Henry was ridiculous he killed me in fantasy I was playing him playing against him in two leagues I think two out of the three he just just destroyed me Tennessee wins again they are unbeaten they are one of the best teams in the NFL Cleveland Pittsburgh you know Kevin Stefanski's been great this year he's done a tremendous job but this one got away early and Steelers five and oh Cleveland had no shot. Baker Mayfield actually got benched for Case Keenum, and Mayfield hasn't been bad this year. He's been good in spots, but I like that move by Stefanski. You know, old-time football, you'd see backup quarterbacks come into the game all the time, and it was great. George Blanda made a career, a late career out of it. 
but uh, Mayfield, Browns, nothing in this one. Baltimore, Philly, you know, we just discussed it with Newton. Lamar Jackson still scares me. I don't know what he can do, what he's going to do once the Greg Roman magic wears off. It's completely scheme in Baltimore. They do a great job. Philly almost sneaks this one out. And I don't remember how this one finished, actually. I'm trying to think of it while talking about it. But, you know, Lamar Jackson scares me. He had a great game. Put up some numbers. Uh, Looked like Baltimore had a two-possession lead. Philly scored late. And... Did they have a shot at a two-point conversion? Yeah, they had a shot at a two-point conversion. I don't remember seeing seeing this one for some reason. And if they got it, they would have tied it up. So not the best week from Baltimore, but hey, it's a, a win's a win, even on the road in this COVID league type year. Washington Giants, Giants win by a point. It wasn't impressive. Both teams are one and five. But Jets fans will take it because that's the team they needed to lose. That team and Atlanta who smoked the suddenly awful Minnesota Vikings 40 to 23 could you imagine where the Jets would be right now if they had Kirk Cousins that contract that money it would be so much worse than it is right now with Darnold but Atlanta wins Giants win Jets atop the tankathon. Detroit beat Jacksonville 34-16, and Jacksonville is that bad. And I'm surprised. I didn't think they I knew they'd be bad, but I didn't think they'd be this bad. Cincinnati loses to Indy 31-27. Indy had to have this one. They got it. And Cincy drops to 1-4-1 and as a much better 1-4-1 team, a scrappy 1-4-1 team then that 1-4-1 record would indicate. Chicago beats Carolina 23-16. Chicago has to be the most overrated 5-1 team or overrated good team in this league right now. I don't know how they're doing it. If they, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't make the playoffs, even after starting 5-1. I just don't think they're a great team. Solid, good with foals, anything's possible, but every week with them, it's it's something that's close, tight, and crazy. Carolina, 3-3. Three and three. Robbie Anderson does not go off. He has a decent game, but when is Christian McCaffrey going to come back? That's the question, I think, surrounding Carolina and fantasy owners alike. Jets Miami, we already discussed. Green Bay, Tampa Bay. Tom Brady moves to four and two with his new team while Belichick and the Pats go to two and three. Todd Bowles' defense put a hurting on Aaron Rodgers, and for the first time this year, the Green Bay Packers look human. Last game, Rams, Niners, the Rams come out flat, and the Niners with injuries left and right with Garoppolo back, which was the key. Win 24-16. Cooper Cup had a bad game. Dropped a touchdown. Just wasn't... Goff and Cup together weren't into it. They just couldn't get anything rolling. And that's pretty much the recap for week six. 
injuries for the Jets. Darnold, I don't think he's going to return this week. The way Gase was talking on the conference call Monday, I don't think he's going to return. It's possible. We'll probably know tomorrow, Wednesday, if he will play this weekend. Because Gase will rule him out early if they don't think he's going to play. Maybe they're playing it too safe with him. Who knows? We know he got hurt and hurt the shoulder, but returned that game, and now he's going to miss the next three. AC joint, I had the same injury once upon a time uh, when I was not ancient. It depends on the severity of the injury. That That's all it comes down to with the AC joint. And interestingly, when I heard it, I heard it in game two, came out for a series, a play, I don't know, a couple plays or a series, got back in there and finished the game. But after that, for the next month, it was brutal, brutal. The pain was awful. It was rough. So I, I would lean towards no, he's not playing this week, but we'll find out tomorrow. Makai Becton, I lean towards yes, he's playing. But again, he's continuing his rehab as well. And we'll find out tomorrow. Makai Becton is the, if you haven't caught on yet, he is the most valuable, probably best player on this Jets roster. This offensive line, as you saw in Miami, with Joe Flacco getting killed, is awful without Makai Becton. They need Becton in there for this line to be improved, as it really is from, as a whole, with Connor McGovern, Fant on the right side, Becton on a left. Alex Lewis playing okay. Greg Van Rotten, I think, is the weakest link of the five, but he was worse earlier on. He's starting to level out a bit. The two big topics we'll hit today quickly are the first, Matt Rule. Matt Rule made a comment in January 2019, which some of you will remember, that highlights the New York Jets' biggest issue and should be the comment Jets' ownership looks at every day. Christopher Johnson should take this comment, print it out, and put it over his mirror, his bathroom mirror. Bell, write it in soap on your damn mirror. It's that important. Obviously, Rule interviewed for the Jets job January 2019, didn't get it. Goes back to Baylor, takes the Carolina job a year later. Here's what he said. I don't want to say anything about that job. This is while he was on ESPN 1660 in Dallas in January 2019. So he was still still at Baylor. I don't want to say anything about that job. At the end of the day, I'm never going to be in an arranged marriage. I'm never going to subcontract out jobs for offense and defense. I'm always going to hire people I believe in and are going to do things the right way. End quote. That is a huge problem, and that's not the way football works. It was widely speculated that the Jets had Greg Williams in mind as the defensive coordinator before they hired the head coach, which means they are pushing Greg Williams onto every candidate. Number one, it's not a good look. It's not a good look for any great football mind to want to come to your organization. There's a hierarchy in football. It's a hierarchy type activity. You need a hierarchy. You need someone at the top. 
and we know ownership is at the top, but let's take them out of the equation. The head coach needs to be the dictator. In football, trust is crucial. There are so many players. There's so much everything happening. Injuries could be life-threatening. You have to trust the next person. Every player has to trust, trust the next guy. You can't have that headache that you, in which you don't trust that guy. The head coach has to be the guy at the top. No matter what, and it has to be clear-cut. Whether or not that rule comment is true, no one's admitted it, you know, it's been denied since Gase has been hired, isn't as important as you may think. What's important is that the illusion of that is out there in the ethos. The perception that the Jets are forcing guys onto head coaching candidates and head coaches is as da- is just damaging in itself. So to have that perception is a critical problem. Of course, also, it creates mass confusion if it's true. Can't do it. You know, if you're a defensive guy and you have a personal problem or you, you, you're upset about playing time, who do you talk to? Greg Williams, defensive coordinator, or the head coach who has nothing to do with the defense? who's an offensive-minded head coach. Gase calls the offensive plays. He's the offensive head coach. Greg Williams calls the defensive plays. He's the defensive head coach. When have you seen or heard Gase talking about defense? Rarely. In-game adjustments, substitutions, personnel, that is Greg Williams on defense. And it's Adam Gase on offense. So they essentially have two head coaches. This is not a setup for success. Yes, other organizations do it and have done it. For instance, Andy Reid calls the offensive plays in KC, and he got Spagnolo on defense calling the defensive plays. Andy Reid's the head coach, obviously. But Andy Reid has been around so long, and he's so respected that it's clear he's the guy at the top of that hierarchy. Same thing with Sean Payton in New Orleans when they won the Super Bowl. Same thing with Doug Peterson in Philly when they won the Super Bowl. But other than those few examples, the other guys, the other mold of head coach has dominated the championships over the last two decades. You, of course, have Bill Belichick. He's won six. Bill Belichick doesn't call the plays. He dabbles, but he doesn't call the plays. He's a true head coach. He's got an offensive play caller, defensive play caller. You got Pete Carroll. Same thing. There are the two former Jets right there. Let's get him out of the way. You also have Bill Cower, Tony Dungy, Tom Coughlin, John Harbaugh, Mike Tomlin. All of these guys didn't call plays. They were game manager type head coaches like a Bill Parcells. And they have won 13 over the last 19 Super Bowls. The issue isn't exactly about calling plays. It's about when you have a head coach who's so invested in one side, you know, i.e. calling plays, that the hierarchy kind of gets skewed and, you, and confusion happens and you don't know exactly who the boss is. 
you know, if it's true that the Jets had Greg Williams in mind and he was going to be the DC, no matter who the head coach was, that the head coach just had to accept that situation. It, first of all, cuts the pool of candidates you want to bring in, which is terrible. You know, a Matt Rule wouldn't allow himself to be put in that situation. He's only going to got, take guys he trusts. But secondly, it also creates back channels between Greg Williams and ownership and allows that person, Greg Williams, in the situation to think he's more important than the average run-of-the-mill defensive coordinator. It's just not a good situation. You hire the head coach, you let the head coach hire the staff. And similarly with the front office, we've discussed it before, since Parcells, the Jets moved to a, a structure that has the head coach and GM both reporting to ownership. I hate it. I know other teams use it around the league, and it's worked in certain situations. Philly, for example, but it, it didn't start happening in, in Philly until they removed Chip Kelly and gave Ro- Howie Roseman the clear role of boss as at the top of the hierarchy. I know it's worked and I know it can work, but it just makes it harder. Like it it puts barriers in front that you don't want to see. It it creates, it increases the likelihood of confusion. And it's just not a good thing. Yeah. Joe Douglas made sure he had a six year deal before he came that he had final say on personnel, which you have to give to a GM. But how in control of the organization is he? Truly. Are they letting him do whatever he wants? Or is ownership, including Gase, and if, even if they're not including Gase, is ownership hindering Douglas and making everything a jet decision as they've preached under Woody Johnson's tenure as owner? Those are the questions that remain. Those are the questions that are always there because of comments like this from Matt Rule. And I know everyone remembers, not everyone remembers, but I know it was 21 months ago, but it is still the most important comment Jets ownership, Jets brass fans have to think about when trying to see their organization right the ship moving forward. Other topic, Sam Darnold to the Dallas Cowboys makes sense for the Jets. It does. Whether or not they should do it is another story. That's a genuine conversation that has many answers that are neither right nor wrong. But think about Dallas. Jerry Jones, they're two and four, just got smoked by Arizona. Desperate. They are desperate in the NFC East. They're two and four atop the division. So they're a division leader with two wins. Jerry Jones feels he has a win-now team. It's not like he's aching for draft picks. He has draft picks. He doesn't have a ton of them, but he has them. Why not a second-round pick for Darnold? Or a second and a third? Or a second and a fourth? Something in that range. No, Darnold's on-field production doesn't merit a second-round pick. He just hasn't produced. But there's that idea out there. That whether true or not, the idea exists that Darnold, the number three pick, 
was the franchise savior and he's been ruined by a terrible offensive line, an outdated scheme, and poor coaching. So if Dallas believes in that idea, a second round pick for Darnold and a second round pick from a Dallas team that might not be any good, if they miss the playoffs, you know, they finish 6-10, and 5-11, and 11, that second round pick is going to be a solid pick. That makes a lot of sense. Now, of course, it would make a lot more sense if Trevor Lawrence was a guarantee. There's no guarantee. At this point last year, we thought Miami was a shoo-in for the top pick. Didn't happen. And they still wound up with Tua, but, you know, Burrow did his thing, and the rest is history. What do you do? Trade deadline's November 3rd. Do you wait until November 3rd? See what's happening? Assess things? Know you're truly tanking it? Or do you hold on to Darnold no matter what? You don't have to pick up that 50-year option, which is going to be at least $20 million, And you could hold on to him. If you get Lawrence, that you trade him in the offseason. If you don't, you return in 2021 with Darnold on his fourth year. Now, if Darnold, if you don't pick up that 50-year option, you bring him back, he tears it up. You've got to sign him to a long-term deal immediately. But he's going to be a free agent. There's no guarantee he'll want to stay either. Lawrence, I still think Lawrence is the, is the only option if you're the number one pick. You start him off on year one of a four-year deal with a 50-year option. That's the window to build. But if I'm Joe Douglas, I'm entertaining the possibility of trades with Darnold right now, pre-trade deadline. I don't know if I pull the trigger, but if I'm blown away by an offer, a second and a third, I'm probably doing it and I'm probably taking that chance. But if I do that, then full tank mode is coming. I mean, if, if you trade Darnold and you don't get Lawrence, there's still no guarantee Darnold would have been the right move for 2021. ESPN's Bill Barnwell wrote a column the other day about potential pre-trade deadline deals and Darnold was included to the Indianapolis Colts for a second and third round pick. It's funny he brought up the Colts because that's how the McCagnan and the Jets got Darnold with that deal to move up to from six to three. But the Colts make sense. Phillip Rivers is on his last legs. Darnold could sit behind him for whatever time he has left, try to learn from him. But Dallas makes more sense. Jerry Jones could be hoping to catch lightning in a bottle. Dak Prescott's out for the year. Andy Dalton looked terrible. If Jerry Jones is that desperate and he's willing to part with a second and third, it would be tough not to do it. It makes a lot of sense in the world. And interestingly, Dallas, this is the organization that lived off these type of deals to create their last dynasty. Jimmy Johnson takes over in 1989 after Tom Landry's fired. Has this guy, Herschel Walker. They're losing. They're getting destroyed. They ultimately finish 1-15 that year. But they trade Herschel Walker to the Minnesota Vikings for a ridiculous number of picks. They also gave up some picks, too. They also acquired some players, which turned into picks based on conditions. The Jets, while Walker and Darnold won't fetch the same value, of course, it's sort of a similar situation. Douglas is Jimmy Johnson. 
from 1989. Darnold, although he hasn't produced like Walker, is the face of the franchise. And Walker was the face of the franchise then. Remember, running back was a crucial position in 1989. No running back by committee. He was a bona fide star. Came from the USFL, rushed for 1,500 yards in 1988, I believe it was, the year year prior. He was a bona fide star. People destroyed Jimmy Johnson for doing this. This college coach coming, this cocky college coach coming from Miami. Who does he think he is? Randy Galloway of the Dallas Morning News uh, title, wrote an article titled, Take Wool from Cowboys' Eyes, Vikings Flat Out Fleeced Him. The Dallas Times, Dallas Times Herald's Frank Luxa said, the Cowboys gave up their star for a bag of beans and a cow to be named later. Obviously, four years later, three years later, 92, Cowboys win their first of three Super Bowls that decade, and Herschel Walker's already in Philly. It's interesting that the Cowboys have this history and that they're so desperate right now because Jerry Jones, when he bought the team in 89, he went with Jimmy Johnson's plan, Jimmy Johnson's patient plan. When Jimmy Johnson left, because they couldn't get along, after the 93 season, Jerry became the anti-Jimmy Johnson. He wanted to become Steinbrenner. He wanted to win now. Forget building. These are the Cowboys. We don't build. We don't take our time. We don't uh, tank seasons. So Douglas looking to potentially take advantage of that, it makes a lot of sense. Should he do it? Would I do it? I don't know. I honestly don't know yet. I think there are valid points on both sides for sure. But what they would wind up with, here's what, for those watching in video form, YouTube, Facebook, whatever, the Jets right now have five first-round picks over the next three years. Three second-rounders and four third-rounders. If they were to add a second and third, they would have... Five first-rounders, four second-rounders, five third-rounders. That's not bad. Five, four, five. The Cowboys, once it was all said and done, in three years, 1990, 91, 92, they had six first-rounders, four second-rounders, one, two, three, four, five, six, and six third-rounders. I mean, that's incredible. So six, four, six. If I added that up correctly. The Jets are catching up. If they were to, if, if, if they really truly go through a fire sale this season, Darnold, May, whoever else, they're catching up to that Dallas three-year draft window that really turned the franchise around. And it resulted in, you know, Emmett Smith, Russell Maryland, Eric Williams, Leon Lett, Alvin Harper, Darren Woodson, Jimmy Smith, who you know him better as the Jacksonville receiver, catching passes for Mark Brunel, losing to Barcells' 98 Jets in the playoffs. Of course, Douglas would have to pick the right guys, but that is the no doubt right strategy from here on out. They got to blow it up, Use that dynamite 
and start fresh and allow Douglas to put his stamp on the personnel, on the depth chart, and on the entire culture. Allow him and him only to hire the next head coach and make the decisions. So Jets, 0-6, that Matt Rule comment, coming back to bite them in the ass right now with Gase and Greg Williams bickering all, all last week and even CBS when they're talking pregame before the game about a mundane thing about officials coming to them, telling them that the Dolphins don't like the way McGovern holds the ball, which is what Gase said him and Greg Williams were talking about. That stuff gets turned around and broadcast teams will will think, hey, you know, these two kind of aren't getting along. Greg Williams made those comments about his defense uh, being put in bad positions by the offense, insinuated. He didn't flat out say that. This will prompt broadcast teams to make something out of nothing. And that's what you need to avoid. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Becton, the team's best player. Darnold will we'll monitor the health of those two. Uh, the Matt Rule comment, like I said, and then Darnold trade possibilities. Does his value, is his value that much better now in terms of what they'd get in compensation as opposed to the offseason where it's worth trading him before you know you're going to get Lawrence? It could be. I think his value, I think what they'd fetch now compared to the offseason would be higher based on desperation or other factors. Because if Donald comes back and plays poorly and continues to play poorly without Gase around, his value could even be driven lower. It could be driven higher as well if he plays well, but I don't expect that or anticipate that or would bet on that to happen with this roster and this coaching staff. So yeah, I think trading him now would fetch a lot more compensation. And, you know, Jets this week, Buffalo at home. Buffalo's coming off a bad game. Can they get their first win of the season? Do Jets fans even want them to get their first win of the season? It's that old thing, culture versus tanking, culture versus draft picks. Does Douglas want to develop while tanking or does he want to win every game possible? It's tough to know and he'll never give the answer. So we'll keep monitoring everything. Think about those certain things we brought up, Matt Rule, Darnold, and until next time. 